0: FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I was not alive when he was the president. He was the 32nd president, and he began serving our country in the year 1933. In his initial inaugural address, we have one of his catchphrases that you might recall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. i got to work on my FDR. One of the sayings that he's noted for, he described that fear as a nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Of course, the fact is, there would be no reason for the president to assert his firm belief that there's nothing to fear unless there was actually something to fear. And there was. Boom. We had the stock market fall in the late end of the 20s. He comes along at a time when you have men, families out of work, food lines, It impacted even their children at home. So bad that you had towns and churches turning people away. Why? Because it was too hard for them to take care of their own, let alone strangers that were looking for food. I don't know how many of you are history buffs or have paid attention to these times, but indeed they were challenging. The Great Depression was sparking fears. It wasn't nameless, and it wasn't unjustified. And for those of us in the Midwest, we then had to also deal with the Dust Bowl. This picture was actually taken in 1934 outside of, um, outside of Gregory, South Dakota. I think you can see that down at no, night. Maybe can't. My mother grew up on a farm just outside of Gregory, South Dakota, this is one of those black blizzards they talk about. That wall of dust could get up to 10,000 feet into the air. And once it comes over, you couldn't see in front of your face. This is a time in our country's history where we had a flocking of people away from farms and into the cities only making what was occurring in the cities worse than it was before. Now, I will give... Uh, roosevelt a little credit uh, a little later on in the speech he says only a foolish optimist would deny the dark realities of the moment but it was those dark realities of the moment that gave substance to people's real and understandable fears in our text today jesus repeatedly tells his disciples so don't be afraid don't be afraid so don't be afraid he sends them out to proclaim his kingdom to the lost sheep of israel or as pastor premused last week god and his and sons movers that was the work to bring people out of darkness into the wonderful life yet he's, jesus acknowledges that he's not just sending us out with this mission to tell others but he's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves in other words it's going to be a challenge for us his very words of admonition and encouragement to have no fear show that he knows there's much to fear at least from a human perspective so as we consider our text today we're challenged to, to face our fears, and at the same time, by grace to face, confess and proclaim that Jesus is greater than our fears. So it's important that we understand that Jesus knows that those who follow him have almost everything to fear. As, as a point, we have rejection. and nobody likes to be rejected. Most of us have probably have had those experiences. And that gives us a deep fear when it comes to expressing who we are. We're afraid that people won't like us, that they'll reject us, that they don't want to be around us. The first disciples had to fear that, uh, face that rejection. All men will hate you because of me. Today, we still have rejection going on when it comes to those who speak the gospel, who try to share with others the the reason for their faith. But because of the culture in which we live in, and because there's such an adverse uh, uh, response to the confession of Christ, We have a tendency to shy away from it. Again, we don't want to be rejected. We want to be liked. And yet, if you pay attention, it's happening more and more. Maybe you haven't experienced it. Then don't take this wrong. But maybe you don't experience it because you don't try to tell anybody about your faith. Then I don't have to deal with the fact of you not liking me or rejecting me because of my Christian beliefs. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to watch what's happening in our culture today. There is a war going on between those who believe in God and those who do not believe in God. Lifestyle choices cannot exist together because one of those lifestyles is formed and. Out of a strong belief in a creator God who who made us in his image. Who loves us so much he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So that confessing our sins is a part of a life of that kind of a person. Because they know their sins have been forgiven in Christ. Openness and honesty when it comes to recognizing sin is important. But not to the other group. They have no thought of a god and if they do it's not a god of judgment it's not a god that condemns it's not a god that will single out in their particular life a sin that they really enjoy they'd rather have it that no it's not really a sin god's okay with it you should be okay with it too when those two lines come together you can see the sparks you can almost sense the hatred. And the sad thing for me as a pastor is I'm seeing it not just from the unbeliever. I'm also seeing it from the Christian who can't keep their emotions in check. They get so caught up in the moment that they forget that they've already overcome. That I don't have to win an argument with you. I don't have to outshout you. I don't have to say angry words at you. The word itself speaks for itself you get caught up in the moment you can hear it the friction is there the sense of rejection seriously i'm not trying to be political but you saw it in the last election and we're going to see it again christian against christian one party against another party convinced that god would have their candidate win and because god would have that God won't have who you're voting for if it's different than who I'm voting for. And the friction begins to break. We begin to reject each other. We don't want to be around each other. Is that happening in our culture, in our world today? I I would say so. Not to the point where they're marching around your house, but undoubtedly it's there. Overcome by it all, we shrink from bearing any kind of witness. We're afraid that if we say too much, we might get doxxed. Some might post on our Facebook, Twitter. I forgot the other ones. I don't, I don't do any of them. But all those different social media things out there, we're afraid of what people will say about us. And people say things about people, don't they? Will we face rejection? Absolutely. But you know what else? We're going to face intimidation. Notice what Jesus says. Be on your guard against men, they will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Intimidation. Creating a, a fear inside of us that if we keep talking or if we keep professing Christ, they're going to take means to silence us by any number of various tactics. I'm not a big social media guy, but some of you are. Have you ever sensed you're being intimidated when you're out there talking to old friends or you're out there sharing thoughts? It's a bad thing. They say things, and you, I would imagine, want to shut up why because you don't want to go someplace where maybe ultimately we're going to get in trouble some would argue we're already living in a time where the government is overstepping its bounds it's already trying to put pressures on different institutions to do this or to not do that even the church But it just isn't rejection and an intimidation. It goes so far as even persecution leading up to execution. And I need to be clear here. Jesus does not mince words in this text as he describes persecution that may be encountered by those who faithfully witness to Jesus. He says, Brother will betray brother to death. A father is child. Children will bell against their parents and have them put to death in the most intimate and personal ways. This persecution can blow up right in the middle of a family. Some of you have shared with me one of the sadnesses of your life as a grandparent or a parent is that your children or your grandchildren are no longer being brought to church. They're being raised outside of a confession as Jesus as their Savior. Now, As much as we love them, as much as we think the best for them, what's going to happen for that little guy or gal that grows up and they become an adult? And now they're looking at Grandma and Grandpa. And Grandma and Grandpa, I'm including myself in that particular phrase, is at a point where, you know, everybody's saying, what's he holding on so long for? All he does is lay in bed all the time. You know, maybe it's time that Grandpa went early is that happening in our world today is it not a part of the thought process i know jack and kevorkian is come and gone but his thought process of allowing people to die with dignity and it doesn't look any dignified grandpa that you're laying there so what do you think like i'd have anything to do about it here drink this a little outrageous a little out there Or is it a distinct possibility that some of the things that even the youngest in the room grew up with aren't the same as they were years ago? I'll be the first to tell you that when it comes to this persecution and execution, Christians in America really have been spared that sort of an experience. Thanks be to God for that as well. But that doesn't mean it doesn't take place jesus specifically warns his disciples that this kind of betrayal to the point of death can happen all in opposition to what one's faith in god well that's not science there's something wrong with you for believing or thinking along those lines Maybe we won't put you to death, but maybe we need to put you away. There is an article written by a Susan Brinkman in the Catholic Standard Times entitled, The Greatest Story Never Told, Modern Christian Martyrdom. In this article, she points out that there's an estimated 70 million Christians that have have been put to death for the sake of Christ in the last 2,000 years. 45.5 million of those happened in the last century. In countries like Iran, Iraq, India, North North Korea, I have nothing against North Carolina, um, and Indonesia. These are all dominantly Muslim countries. Christians are, are arrested. They're persecuted they're um, tortured imprisoned and yes we've seen it on the video even they're put to death all because they believe that jesus is their savior they've converted in their faith jesus knows that those who follow him have almost everything to fear from a human perspective and even as christians from a human perspective it doesn't mean that the fear isn't there It is there. Jesus is very, very straightforward when it comes to that. It's by the grace of God that Americans can say, well, I have to look outside of America to see it. Yeah, that may be right now, but is that what it's going to be like in the next five to ten years? I don't know. I just know that Jesus says it's going to be a challenge when you pick up your cross and follow him so jesus knows that those who follow him have almost everything to fear but you know what else jesus knows that those who follow him have absolutely nothing to fear the great dynamic of being a Christian. On the one hand, we're able to see and recognize difficulty and challenge. At the same time, we have the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that gives us the ability to overcome or at least address the things that cause us fear. Rejection, intimidation, persecution, execution. Let's be honest, Jesus has already been there. He's already done that. He says that to his disciples. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they align those of his household? Jesus was called of the devil. And so will we. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was tortured. He was even put to death. We should at least accept the idea that that's the tension that we find ourselves in as the people of Christ. Jesus has overcome every evil that threatens to paralyze us with with fear. Hebrews writes. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one that has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Notice what the scripture doesn't do. It doesn't say that there's nothing to be afraid of. It doesn't say that we're not going to be in need or there will be no suffering. It says in all confidence because we have the great high priest Jesus who was tempted in every way but did not sin we are able to go to him in our time of need to find the very mercy and grace that we need to address the the challenges that we face in our life. This is God's promise to us. Jesus is with us, intimately caring for us in every fear-filled situation. Notice what he says. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of our Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Notice what Jesus is doing. A sparrow. I'm sure you could probably come up with another bird as populous and as worthless as a sparrow. They're, but they're all over. I, uh, by the way, for your bird love, I didn't mean worthless. I just meant they don't do us any good. Um, a sparrow—it's what? It's sold for a couple of pennies, and yet we're more—we're worth more than not just a sparrow, but many sparrows. Have you ever wondered how many hairs you have on your, your head? I'm actually tempted to start counting mine because I think it'd be a little easier today than it was when I was younger. Have you ever wondered that? Have any of you tried to count the hair on your head? What a silly thing to do, wouldn't you say? And yet, God knows how many hair, how many hairs you got on your head. Why would he know that? Because he cares about you. Yeah, but the number of hairs on my head? Yeah. When you let that sink in a little bit, Imagine what it feels like when you realize he's there in your time of need. If he knows the numbers of hair on your head, do you think he knows what you're going through? Do you think that somehow or another, oh, when it comes to the hairs on your head, that's one thing, but when it comes to answering your prayer, healing you, uh, allowing you to know that I am with you, well, that's asking a little too much. It's the opposite. Jesus is very straightforward, not only when it comes to acknowledging that your life of faith is a challenge, it's going to be a challenge, I'm telling you up front it's a challenge, but he also gives us the very comfort in knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. So fear's going to have its day, but fear is not the last word. Jesus has the last word, and he's greater than our fears. That's why he keeps telling his disciples, don't be afraid. It's not like there aren't fearful things out there. It's not like they're not challenges. There are. Jesus didn't come into this world to take away your suffering, he came into this world to take away your sins. So that in your time of suffering, in your time of pain, he gives you the ability to keep things in perspective. That we're but strangers here. Heaven is our home. Not only is there the certainty of life and death, but there's also the certainty that Christians are going to be persecuted, intimidated, and in some cases, martyred for their faith. I wouldn't be a, any kind of a pastor worth this salt if I didn't tell you that, you, that there's nothing to be, If I told you that there's nothing to be afraid of, there is. However, God has already overcome these for us. From God's point of view, you really have nothing to fear. Why? Because Jesus has faced everything that you'll face before you did. And he has overcome them for you. That you may have confidence in the things that you do as you uh, join him in the business. One of the neatest things that Pastor Preem said in his sermon last week, at least, he left. He was in here. Will somebody tell him I said this, okay? One of the coolest things he said last week was, you have to evangelize yourself. Now, I've always, I've always put that in the terms of go to church, study the word, do your devotions, pray continually. But when you look at it from the perspective of evangelize yourself, what it's saying is you have to continue to remind yourself of the truth. That Jesus overcame sin, death, and the power of the devil. He died and he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he is coming again. If I forget those words, if I start paying attention to how the world talks about life, where is my comfort going to be? The things that you're concerned with are bigger than you are. And you cannot overcome them by yourself. Evangelize yourself. Remind yourself of all that God has done already done for you as in our text these difficulties are out there open your eyes and see but Christ's accomplishments for you have already overcome them so that you don't have anything to fear but fear itself would you pray with me Father in heaven, this is one of those sermons that could go anyway, depending on who's listening, because we all have our diff- different challenges. Uh, the, it's not a good thing to try to listen or compare one's challenges to the others, But because what makes it so bad is it belongs to us. Do not allow the evil one to allow the things that overwhelm us, that trouble us, that worry us, intimidate us, cause us to reject your, your word but rather may your spirit draw us all the more closely to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.